you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go to Acts chapter 6. This morning we're taking a break from Jeremiah. As you know, this is a special occasion. We'll be setting apart, appointing two deacons to the task of deacon ministry at Cedarview. And we're rejoicing in this because it is an answer to prayer. We have longed for this for years. And we've made a little progress here, a little progress there. And finally, I'm just excited. We're going to be setting apart two on the same day. And I believe the Lord has prepared for us even more to come. Guys that we have our eyes on that can serve as deacons for the local church. You know, if you have had children or observed children in any way, you know that there's a season of their life when the why question becomes the biggest question. Well, why? Go make your bed. Why? I know I said why to that one all the time. I'm just going to mess it up tonight. Why do I need to make it up? I still say that to my wife. Why? Why questions? Why do I need to do this? Why do I need to do that? I've heard a lot of people in my generation talk about how we're the why generation. We didn't want to be told necessarily just what we needed to do. We wanted to hear the reasoning behind it. Why do we need to do this? I think that there are times in the life of the church where we need that sort of explanation. And I think as we talk about deacon ministry today... I want to try to provide some of that for you. Why do we have deacons in the church? A lot of us would just be like, well, it's just what we do. They told me we have deacons. These guys, they call them deacons. I don't know what they do. Even our deacons today, this morning, as they fielded some questions, admitted, like, I wasn't real clear on what deacon ministry was until I actually became, well, started to serve in the capacity of a deacon. So I think today we're going to, We're going to spend our time talking about the why of deacon ministry and maybe a bit of the structure, how. Uh, We'll see how it unfolds. Um, In these things, I want to challenge you, church, as we do when we uh, appoint somebody, we ordain somebody, we want to put a challenge out to the candidate. We want to put a challenge out there for the church, a charge, if you will. And that will come at the end as we set these men apart. I want to give you the theme this morning on the screen. Deacons are a gift to the church, undergirding the week-to-week gospel ministry by serving the saints and supporting the shepherds. Deacons are a gift to the church, undergirding the week-to-week gospel ministry by serving the saints and supporting the shepherds. There are two words in this that we have emphasized in our deacons meetings these past eight or nine months. It's the two words, serving and supporting, serving and supporting. I'll admit, when I was growing up in the, in the church, I grew up in Baptist churches, I never really knew what deacons did. The one thing I knew that I saw my father, who is a deacon, uh, I guess he's inactive at this point, but he served as a deacon for so many years. The one thing I saw him doing was calling people on their birthday. Now, I'm terrible about that. I don't know when your birthday is. Don't be offended if I don't wish you happy birthday. I barely remember my own birthday, Okay. But my dad was faithful to call his people on their birthday and wish them a happy birthday. But honestly, aside from the guys who were like up in front when we had a church meeting, I didn't know what deacons did. And as we have been uh, digging through this, the deacons, the deacon candidates, and myself these past nine months, 
We have really sought to identify what it is that the Bible speaks to in terms of deacon ministry, and it has come to those two words, serving and supporting. So as you hear today, and maybe you'll hear more in the future as we talk about the structure of our deacon ministry moving forward, it'll be those two words, serving and supporting. So this morning, I want to use two different texts. First off, Acts 6, 1 through 6, and then we'll move to uh, 1 Timothy 3 that talks about the qualifications of a deacon. And I want to give you a charge both to the deacon and the church from each of these texts. So in Acts 6, deacon, I'm going to charge you, and then church, I'm going to charge you. And then we're going to move to 1 Timothy 3, deacon, I'm going to charge you, church, I'm going to charge you, Okay. As we go to Acts chapter 6, uh, well, let me go ahead and read it. I'm going to read it. Acts 6, 1 through 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the, the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. What they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, this text is widely regarded as the foundation and start of deacon ministry in New Testament churches. And you recognize the word service is actually the word deacon in the New Testament. When we read the word deacon, it's always referring to uh, service or ministry. So you'll read in English, ministry or service or serve or something like that. Here's how it's translated in the New Testament. 20 times minister, seven times as servant, and three times as deacon. So the ministry of the deacon is, is oriented toward service primarily. And as the deacon serves, we'll see how that supports the life of the church. And that's what I want to talk about right now. So charge to you, deacon, from Acts 6, your support is necessary. Your support is necessary. The situation in Jerusalem, we see the, the early church growing, diversifying. They're seeing, as we record or see recorded in the scriptures, thousands of people have been saved. Now, many of those may have actually returned to their uh, original uh, home, their hometown, if you will, but many stayed. And the church, as we see in the very first verse here, they were increasing in number. And as they increased in number, the difficulty of ministry showed itself. It says here that widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So we have to understand that the first church took the responsibility of ensuring that their widows were fed daily which undoubtedly was no small task for this burgeoning church, this growing church. As you can imagine, church members start slipping through the cracks. 
So would you believe? Would you believe that even a dozen apostles, a dozen essentially pastors of the local church, pastor elders of the first church, they had a hard time keeping up with their church members? Twelve. The fact of the matter is, your pastors will not always be right where you need them, right on time, in every situation. As far as it concerns me, often what I plan to do does not end up happening. I've had a few conversations recently. I'm not overwhelmed with being busy. I never want to communicate that to you. But the fact of of pastoring is that almost every day, there's a wrench that's thrown into my plan. I'm having to edit my planner so that it follows how my day is actually going. You understand how that is. If I have a day where there is not an unexpected interruption, then I am kind of surprised. It's an odd day. Reality is I miss things. Kyle misses things. We forget things. Sometimes it means that your pastors will let you down. And as we have had new members coming uh, these past a year or two, I would say, one thing I try to make real clear is at some point I am going to let you down. Kyle is going to let you down. We will not meet the expectations that you have for us at some point. Enter deacons. Your support is necessary. You know, I think about how I forget stuff. And we were watching, we were watching TV, I guess, yesterday evening. And there was a commercial that uh, came on. It was a commercial for hot wings. And a husband apparently had gone out to get some hot wings. Maybe you've seen the commercial. He picks up the order. He walks in the door. He's like, hey, here's our order of hot wings. I'm so excited about it. And she's like, well, what about the kids? So he was supposed to go out and pick up the kids in addition to hot wings. But he got so focused on hot wings that he forgot about the kids. And I saw this commercial and I turned to Aaron. I'm like, that is something I would do. Not that I don't love my kids, but I am a one-track-minded person. It's one task. And I'm lucky if I get that done. So by God's design, To help cover the work of ministry in the body, deacon's support is necessary. I think we see two benefits that come through this text in Acts chapter 6. First off, deacons ensure care. Deacons ensure care. And I'd love to put some adjectives right there before care, but I just couldn't identify one that would cover it. Deacons ensure care. The priority of the apostles, the pastor, elders of every local church is prayer and the ministry of the word. You see that in verse 4. The table service, which was growing, the the logistics of everything were, were growing, and it was diminishing the ability of the pastor to fulfill their ministry, sufficiently feeding and caring for the flock spiritually. And y'all know my heart for this. If you're a member of the church, I want to know you. I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to care for you. I want to minister to you with the word of God. Kyle and I share this desire, deep and meaningful relationship within 
the church, especially with those who are given charge to care for your soul. So deacons, by God's grace, step in. They enable better pastoral care while also meeting some of the tangible needs of the flock. So deacon ministry is supposed to help the pastor be a better pastor. Deacons, biblically, ensure this kind of care. But also, deacons enhance unity. This is not something that you would just look at this text and notice quickly, but in this case, in the early church, you see believers from Jewish backgrounds and believers from Greek backgrounds are being brought together in the same local church. What we do not see throughout the scriptures is, well, it would just be so much easier if all those people who were Jews, they just do their own church. And then all the people who are uh, Greeks or Gentiles or whatever, they just do their own church. That's not what we see. Over and over again, Paul counsels the churches, hey, you are one in Christ. So whatever differences you got, work them out. Because Christ is more important than that. We see them coming together. People from a Hellenistic background, a Greek background, understanding the gospel, coming to faith. And then they're put together with these Jews who have uh, very different, traditional Jews, very different cultural elements. So in this case, we see it's the Hellenists, those of the Greek culture. They ended up getting the short end of the stick. So to make sure that the full membership of the church is represented, the church appoints deacons strategically so that unity could be accomplished. Each of the men listed, as we read that list, each of the men listed have Greek names. It seems to indicate that they'll be better aware, more sensitive to the needs of the Hellenistic Jews. You know what I'm encouraged by today At the end of today's service, we will, Lord willing, we'll have three deacons with a 40-year age gap between the oldest and the youngest, roughly 40. We have deacons with differences in backgrounds, differences in Christian experience, differences in gifts and burdens for ministry, and we are a church with various measures of diversity, and so their labor will continue to be a labor of unity. The support of deacons is necessary. They ensure care. They enhance unity. Secondly, I want to turn to a bit of a charge to the church. Church. Look for the strength of deacon ministry. Look for the strength of deacon ministry. The first church knew exactly why these men were appointed. At the very least, they knew their job was to serve tables. Hey, we got to get this food distributed. So deacons, here you go. But as we unfold the rest of the New Testament, we see very little about the specific responsibilities of Deacons, and I think this is on purpose. Most commentators and local church leaders would say that this is on purpose because every local church has different specific needs. It's not common for churches in our society in our day to have a daily distribution of food to widows. 
In fact, I don't know of one church that does that. So the needs of the very first church may differ from the needs of every local church that has been scattered around the globe. As a kid, I had chores to do around my house. My chores were not necessarily the same as my friends, and they weren't even necessarily the same as my sisters because my friends were in a different household, and my parents chose to give different responsibilities to me, different expectations in daily life. Early on in life, I was responsible for taking out the trash, and as I got older, I was responsible for cutting the grass or mowing the lawn, if you prefer. These were chores tailored for me by my parents in our household. Thankfully, they never made me do dishes. For that, my wife is eternally begrudging of my parents. There's two things. You just heard two things today. How I'm a, I'm a bad husband at home. <laughs> Make the bed, do the dishes. Eh. So we had these specific chores, specific responsibilities, but they were tailored for our home. So it may not look the same when it comes to deacon service in each local church, but I want to give you some, I want to give you some handles. We have, we have sought to sort of define deacon ministry in our local church according to the needs that we have. So Kyle and I have been discussing this for a while, and then for the past several months, roughly nine months, the deacons and I have been assigning, uh, I guess, a system to those specific responsibilities. Each of these men have had a hand in developing and shaping these roles. And I believe it's up there. We're going to call them deacon stations, deacon stations. And so far, we have identified five areas right there listed in parentheses. There is a deacon of Sunday service. That is the one that's going to help everything to go smoothly on a Sunday morning. There's a deacon of hospitality. This is the one who's going to make sure that when we do meals or when we host people, we want to make sure things are in order, things are done well. There's also a deacon of mercy ministry. This is going to be the one handling benevolence. Uh, This is going to be the one uh, helping out with, uh, specifically Kyle, in planning and executing things like outreach. And then we have a deacon of logistics. And this deacon is going to be the one to make sure that the building is actually in order. Chairs, tables, things like that. In the event of somebody using our facilities. And then we have a deacon of mission efforts that will be devoted to our actual mission trips, mission endeavors, and things of that nature. This is where we stand so far. And so each of these identifies an area of service to the church that needs ongoing attention. So it's our hope in the coming years that these roles will be refined and better support the ministry of the church overall. You're going to hear an update in August when we have a regular members meeting. You're going to hear an update on who is doing what, what deacons are doing what, and then we're going to go ahead and start praying for at least two more deacons to fulfill those other two deacon stations. Now I want to turn our attention to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3. 
So we have said so far, Deacon, your support is necessary. Church, look for the strength in Deacon ministry. And now we turn to 1 Timothy 3. I want to read verses 8 through 16. 1 Timothy 3. You see the, the letter Paul is writing to Timothy here. He's trying to help him work out the order of the church. So things can be done decently and in order, as he tells the Corinthians. And he's identified two offices. We as a, as a church have identified and agree with those two offices that belong in the local church. That is pastor or elder and deacon. So he walks through the requirements, the expectations, the qualifications of a pastor, and then he turns his attention to qualifications of a deacon in verse 8. It says, deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And we'll pause there. I may come back to those I will come back to those remaining verses. So on these verses, I want to give, first off, a charge to the deacon. Deacon, your service must be exemplary. Your service must be exemplary. I've always had trouble preaching lists, okay? Not my favorite thing to do, but here's a list. So we're going to run through it. I hope you can focus and see the value in each of these things and also how it's not just an expectation on deacons. Oh, yeah, I get to hold them to the standard. No, there's a standard of holiness that you ought to aspire to. Even if you're not a pastor, even if you're not a deacon, you ought to seek to see many of these characteristics grow in your life, develop in your life. So deacon, your service must be exemplary. First off, he mentions a visible Character, visible character. This portion of this first part of the list, verse 8, it begins with the requirement that they be dignified, that is honorable, respectable. And the list immediately turns to negatives. You know, not this, not this, not this. And I, I get to wondering, like, why would he just go negative here? Because rarely is good character put on display. You understand? I would ask you, like, can you name all the people with just Christ-like character that have served the church in the past month? No. But if you have seen somebody manifest character that is not Christ-like, I guarantee you it has stuck in your mind. I think Paul is giving this list here to say, hey, if you've seen these things, I'm sure you've noticed these things, and it's probably not just one person. So if these things exist, then... They're not qualified. So he says, not double-tongued. A double-tongue says one thing to certain people and says something, something else to others. It also could mean to say one thing but mean another. 
This kind of person is two-faced, insincere. These words cannot be trusted, but a deacon's words must be trustworthy. Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. This is so as to guard the deacon from poor decisions, a lack of self-control, or a lack of discipline. A deacon cannot be impaired by overindulgence of alcohol or any other mind-altering substance. The goal is sober thought and sober action. Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. A lover of money is not qualified to be a deacon. It is often the case that deacons participate in matters related to funds and their use. And in this, a deacon must have his focus on the Lord's work through the local church, not on dollar signs. There is that visible character. There's also vibrant faith. You see there in verse 9. He must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The mystery of the faith is a phrase that Paul uses to describe the gospel. So, uh, in essence, the deacon must be unwavering in his commitment to gospel truth. Furthermore, his conscience must be clear. This means that his life must be in step with the gospel. The way that Paul counsels so many of the local churches in the New Testament. This means if there are things in his mind that he is unsure of, they need to be handled before he can serve as a deacon. His vibrant faith. Thirdly, a verified reputation. The goal here, verse 10, is blamelessness. This speaks to reputation. You know, it's difficult to discern whether a person is blameless without having put him through a test. And that's why Paul encourages local churches to test them for a season. So they must be blameless, but that comes after being tested. So at minimum, a deacon's background is in question. His moral and doctrinal maturity is in question. But just as important, his track record of service to the church is important. He must have this visible character, vibrant faith, verified reputation, and then he must have virtuous home life. Virtuous home life. Here's where the wives or women, if you read it in Greek, of verse 11 must testify to the virtue of the husband. You see, their list echoes the list above, requiring that they be dignified, that is, respectable or honorable. And then he goes into a few specifics. It seems as though they're tailored for women, not slanderers. That is, speech that does not cut down, but speech that is becoming of a servant of Christ's church. Not slanderers, but they need to be sober-minded, like the deacon. She must be level-headed, self-controlled, disciplined, and then faithful in all things. And this would compare well to the word blameless above. The general track record of a deacon's wife is faithfulness. And then it continues. Verse 12, husband of one wife. Now, there are several different conclusions drawn here. So... I want to be careful not to go beyond what the text actually says. 
Basically, the deacon must be devoted to his wife and no other woman. There's only one woman that receives and reciprocates emotional and physical intimacy for the deacon, and it must be his wife. It goes on, verse 12, manages children and household well. A deacon must lead his wife and children well, especially as it relates to their spiritual nourishment and growth. And looking at verse 13, as if all these expectations did not already magnify the importance of solid believers to serve the church as deacons, verse 13 indicates a reward from the Lord for deacons. So for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So deacons, as you serve well, you're standing before us and your standing before the Lord is further strengthened. He goes on, your confidence in Christ will abound as you serve him, as you serve his bride. In no way does the New Testament belittle the service of deacons. You can see Paul is laying it on here, how important deacon service is to the local church. And you can see in these next few words, and in this I'll turn the charge to the church. Church, let the deacons serve you. Let the deacons serve you. That may seem like a weird point to make. Well, yeah, I mean, deacons, that's what they do, right? Well, you know, uh, there are so many people, especially in the South, that we just have this thing about us that wants to be polite, but not actually ask for anything. As I heard our deacons this morning, their number one request was, just be honest with us about your needs, about your prayer needs about what's going on in your life so we can actually serve you. So replying to the question, hey, what can I pray for you about? They don't want to hear, hey, man, we're all just good. It's all right. No, we know there's something going on. They know there's something going on, and they want to pray for you. They want to intercede for you. So I would say, based on these verses, let the deacons serve you. Look where Paul goes in this letter, verse 14. I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Speaking of Christ, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So, I don't know about you, but I'm not quick to connect the ministry of deacons to just one or two verses, the glory of Jesus Christ. How essential this is to the life of the church. So I would tell you, church, let the deacons serve you because God has appointed them to serve for your good. 
Maybe consider the fact that all the areas where a deacon must be qualified is likely an area where you are going to need their ministry. Don't let your pride, don't let your supposed self-sufficiency keep you from the blessed ministry of deacons. And as he moves forward in this text, as we read, our confession of faith, the mystery of godliness becomes stronger when we receive the ministry of deacons. God has appointed pastors and deacons for the good of the church. I think it's interesting that Paul would use this phrase, mystery of godliness. It is unique. Mystery of godliness. Interesting word choice. And unfortunately, I think we miss some of what Paul intends here. You know, if I were going to put together an organization, maybe if if you were going to put together an organization that was supposed to glorify God and make disciples, it probably wouldn't be led by pastors and deacons. It probably wouldn't be the structure that we would choose. But we often begin, sometimes we try to correct God in what he has established for the local church. We get the idea that the church ought to be some kind of well-oiled machine. That we're here for efficiency. That we're here for measurable productivity. And we become purely utilitarian in our approach. How can we make disciples the fastest? How can we plant churches the quickest? How can we get people to come by the multitudes? Nowhere in scripture has any of that been commanded to the local church. We are called to be faithful. And according to God's good pleasure, he says the church is organized under the leadership of pastoral care and supported and served by deacon ministry. It's simple. It may not be as productive as you would like. It may not be very well oiled, especially when there's conflict. How many times have you encountered conflict in the church in the past few weeks? Oh, my goodness. It's constant. It's constant. And you know what? God has appointed that all that conflict show us the local church. And this is why Paul would say, in his little summary of the gospel right here, that the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. Don't overlook that. Don't overlook that. And so as we look to appoint these deacons today, I hope that your eye is on this Lord Jesus, the one who by the Spirit makes us more like him, the one who was manifested in the flesh. The eternal son took on human flesh, lived the perfect life, went to the cross, rose again for our justification, vindicated by the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations and we're still doing it. People all across the world are believing 
in this Lord Jesus that was taken up in glory, and he is seated now at the right hand of the Father. Deacons, your ministry points us to that end. The Lord Jesus in his perfection and the church gathered with him in perfection when the kingdom comes at his consummation. So deacons, you've heard the charge. Church, you've heard the charge. It's a charge according to God's word that will make us look more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in the way that you have gifted the church. Father, I know many people far and wide throughout history have sought to one-up you, thinking that the way they do things would be better than the way you've prescribed in your word. At the same time, we're thankful for the freedom that you have given the local church in appointing deacons and assigning ministry tasks. We rejoice today knowing that all that you've given to the church is for its own good. Ultimately, we rejoice in the fact that we will, in the end, look like Jesus Christ. Father, as we respond to your word, we pray the Holy Spirit would convict our hearts. Show us how our aim in many ways has not been the glory of Jesus. It's not been Christ-likeness. Father, maybe there is one who, for the first time, understands why the church is what she is. Why the church does what she does. It's because this glorious news of the gospel needs to be heard and embraced. It needs to be the transforming factor in every single image bearer across the world. Father, use us in proclaiming the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, empower the words that go forth from your people so that the nations would hear of Jesus. Bless us today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.